Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You don't have to do everything yourself. And if you can put yourself in that business owner chair from the beginning rather than the business doer chair, something I'm not very good at in a lot of ways. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Our guest today is Nick Loper. I've titled Nick as Mr. Side Hustle. He has a top-rated podcast and a highly successful blog named The Side Hustle Nation. And he's really one of the early pioneers, I would say, that kind of started this whole side hustle thing, or at least one of them, maybe not the first one, but one of them. In this show, we talk about a few different things. We talk about how to lower your risk as an entrepreneur, why you should take an experimenter's mindset, and how your fear of failure is getting in the way of your success. Nick's a super fun guy to listen to. He's got a lot of knowledge. I think you'll really enjoy listening to him. So let's start the show. Hey, Nick, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So first I want to talk about, because you have like this amazing show, this podcast show. Can you share us a little bit about it, the name of it and, and how many shows you have and what it's about? Absolutely. So I've been hosting the Side Hustle show since 2013. We're over 500 episodes now, primarily me pointing the mic at other side hustle entrepreneurs and saying... Well, how'd you come up with that idea? How'd you get your first customers? What's working today to market this thing? What would you do differently? All that stuff was in 2013, super interesting to me, like that zero to one thing. And then that one to 10 part of the equation, like you know, the launch, the liftoff, the idea phase, and then the growth and scale phase. Fascinating then, still fascinating now. And just really get a kick out of scooping those stories. Yeah. I mean, 2013, so to start your show... Things were a lot different back then in terms of podcasting world. Like I imagine even like the avenue to do podcasts weren't nearly as easy as they are now. Like what was your vision back then? Like did you see this as some big medium or was it like something you were testing out? Yeah, everything starts out as a as a little test, a little toe dip experiment to see what happens. Honestly, it started out of like peer pressure. You know, <laughs> the people that I was following, paying attention to at the time. Like, hey, you know, if you want to have a personal brand, you got to do a podcast or YouTube. That was the other option. Right. Well, I don't, definitely don't want to do YouTube. So this was like the lesser of two evils. And I thought of myself as a writer first. I was going to have the blog and the podcast. And within the first year, I was really surprised. The blog was okay, but the podcast grew three times faster. So I was like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. So scale down the writing a little bit, You know, put more effort, energy, and attention into the podcast. And it, the funny thing is, it felt crowded. In 2013, it felt competitive. There were already dozens of you know, entrepreneur interview shows out there that were well-established, doing really well. Did the world really need another entry? You know, Those were kind of the self-doubt questions that went into my mind. Of course, it's more crowded and more competitive now, but 
you know, it's only going to look worse a year from now. So uh, better, better to start today and uh, then, uh, then kick it down the road another year. But what's amazing, and I almost to some degree wonder if you've driven this, if you're responsible for this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Side hustle wasn't like a coined term in 2013, or at least if it was, it wasn't a term you heard like you do now. It's like almost everybody uses the word side hustle. Like, when am I going to get a side hustle? When am I? I mean, you know, we used to call it like a second job or maybe a second, you know, make some side money or something. Yeah, moonlighting or something. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really this popular. Do you think you've kind of driven the term a little bit with your own show or is it like maybe multiple things, but you're part of that? Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't take any credit for that. I definitely <laughs> didn't invent the term. I would say that I've benefited from a you know a rising tide of interest in the topic for sure by being a little bit early and trying to catch that wave. Yeah, I remember. So Chris Gillibo from Hundred Dollar Startup and World Domination Summit, and you know, really well established author and you know, guy with a big online platform. Early 2016, I want to say, starts side hustle school. Podcast, daily podcasts. Right. I was like, Chris, come on, you're coming into my territory. I was like, that, that's it, you know, multi time New York Times bestselling author. I'm probably done. I never saw a bigger spike than I did that month that he launched. Wow. Because he brought so many new people into the fold. It was just a proof that, okay, this is a topic that has broad appeal. And, you know, just because somebody consumes one podcast doesn't mean that's like, they have an exclusivity clause on that topic. You know, they, people consume all the content in that space. Right. Yeah. It's, it is fascinating when sometimes we think like, oh man, that's going to hurt my area, but it actually brings more consumption. So it's kind of kind of enlightening to hear you say that. Now, what made you even think side hustle so long ago? Like where did that, how did that come from? Was this your own journey initially or where did it come from? Yeah, that was my corporate escape route. That was, you know, for me, it was three years, nights and weekends building a comparison shoe shopping website was my original side hustle. And so I was running that for several years, even full-time before starting the blog and podcast. Because the narrative that I would hear was, and this might be you know butchering Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn, like an entrepreneur is uh, somebody who jumps off the cliff and figures out how to build the plane or build the parachute on the way down. It's like, I, that sounds terrifying, number one. And number two, I don't know how realistic that is for most people. Like we've got obligations, we've got bills to pay, we've got rent and mortgage to make and food to put on the table and families. Like there's a lower risk way. And so my hypothesis, my, th- my thesis was like, look, I want to showcase the lower risk brand of entrepreneurship because that was my, you know, that's what I did. It was, you know, start small, start on the side, scale it up. Maybe it takes a little bit longer, but you have a little bit more runway in that sense. Yeah. How often do you see people start out with a side hustle? Do you have some data points or even gut feel? They start out with a side hustle and it ends up becoming their primary source of revenue. It really runs the whole range. So we see people where that's like their that's their primary goal. Like I I gotta get out of this cubicle life and even less so. You know, people working remote, it's like the, the pain is a little bit less than maybe it used to be, especially like, oh, I had an hour commute in traffic each way. Like, yeah, I'd be gouging out my eyeballs too, looking for a better path. But we see some people will say like, yes, I got to get out. And other people are saying like, ah, you know, if I can make an extra 500 bucks a month, that would be cool. An extra thousand bucks, like that would be cool. Let me pay down debt. Let me pad my savings account. Let me save up for a vacation or something. It really ranges. And it's interesting to see even people now who have businesses making what would be the equivalent of a full-time salary, but they're like, oh, you know, 
I still enjoy my day job. So it's like, I don't know, I guess I could bank both of them for the time being. It's not a huge pain point. Like, wow, good for you. This is really interesting to see. What's your takeaway when people say, man, you know, sometimes I'll be like playing around on TikTok or Instagram and people will be posting, oh man, I'm, I can't make enough money to pay my bills or I can't do this. I, you know, there's just not enough money to be made. After talking to so many people with side hustles, is there a side of you that goes, man, if you have some level of motivation, there's just so much opportunity here. You just got to push forward. Do you feel like everybody has that opportunity or what's your thoughts around that? Well, not everybody is starting from the same, you know, the playing field isn't always level. Okay. As much as the internet has democratized that, like we got to recognize that we're probably starting with certain advantages in some cases. Well, I already had a laptop that that worked. I already had, you know, you know sure. there are certain, you know, minimum thresholds. But beyond that, it's crazy. Some of the ideas that people come up with, like I just interviewed this week, guy in West Tennessee started selling like nursery plants out of his backyard. And like talk about a business that requires patience. Like, oh, I, you know, start propagating these things in the fall. And then like by next spring, I have, you know, dozens of pots ready to sell at seven bucks a piece. But he was selling like 10 grand of these worth a year. And what was really cool was he like started filming himself talking about his process and like, you know, what goes into this business and the costs associated. What would you do if you had only a hundred square foot patio? What would you grow? And the YouTube channel just hit a million views. Wow. And he said, you know, during his peak season, making 1500 to 2500 bucks just in YouTube income. I was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. So it's that idea of, you know, finding something, you know, at the intersection of, you know, your interests, your hobbies, your skills, your curiosity. In a lot of cases, I would check that box for me in, in just wanting to talk to other business owners, entrepreneurs. And then where is there a hungry market? And he said, you know, my inspiration was I drove up to Lowe's on one spring weekend and it was like wall to wall people in the nursery section. Like, oh, there's clearly a hungry demand for plants. Who knew? And so that was really interesting. And then, you know, doing the the working in public aspect of that, something I, you know, I should have started doing in, in 2004 when I first started dabbling with online business. I think that would have been a much bigger head start to start just sharing what I was working on. Didn't really start doing it until Side Hustle Nation. Is there one, you know, I have a guest coming up on my show and I don't know, maybe you've already talked with her. She actually does worms. So but she raises worms for organic compost. And okay. that to me is like a really strange thing. Like it's kind of out there, but she's doing it very well and she's making a good living at it. Is there any in all your stories that stand out to you as like just really crazy way to make money? I'm sure there's a lot actually, but one that stands out in particular. Man, maybe uh, you have to introduce me to the worm woman. That's, that's a- oh, I figured she was already. You know, I, I didn't even look at all your shows. I should have looked, but yeah, I'll introduce you. She's so cool, and it's such a fascinating story. Yeah, we always hear these ones like, "Oh, I run a online membership community for people who raise goats," or you know, I, I love this stuff. <laughs> one that uh, is really creative is this uh, high school teacher out of New York, Steve Nadramia, who runs a portable hot tub rental business on the side, and so he like. He broke this all down. It's like, well, if you get it, you get these units used. You know, maybe they cost a couple grand, but then you rent them out um, for two hundred bucks a week or five hundred bucks a month or something. And it was like, well, that pencils out way better than like a traditional, you know, three bedroom, two bath house rental property in in most neighborhoods. And so it's like, well, that's really interesting. And he's like, well, I got twenty five of these things. And I was like, well, Steve, where do you keep all these things? Do you have a storage unit? He's like, the truth is. You know, the max I ever have is like one to two in the side yard. They're all wow. they're all out. They're all, you know, generating cash flow like at people's houses. 
And he blew up, you know, he started pre-pandemic, really blew up during the pandemic. And, you know, he's been doing really well. So, you know, sometimes like these unconventional rental type of businesses, I think are really cool. But yeah, I mean, we had a woman recently was was like flipping peaches. She's like, Nick, you've done episodes on, you know, flipping houses and sneakers and, you know, stuff you find at the yard sale and domain names and websites. I flip peaches. And I was like, like, like the fruit, like I never heard of a peach before. I was like, yeah, like the fruit. Yeah, just like, yeah, you roll up to the orchard or you find a grocery distributor and, you know, a couple hundred bucks worth of peaches, you make a thousand bucks by the end of the weekend. It's like, there's a million ways to get it done. So always inspired by what people are coming up with. Huh. So she's all almost like arbitraging peaches. So she's yeah, finding... a little roadside stand, yeah. <laughs> peaches. I was like, Huh. Okay. That's I, I love the creativity. Like when I listen to your show, you do such a great job of bringing out the stories, and you kind of like it's overload sometimes because you like listen <laughs> to all these stories of people that are doing, and you're like your mind just starts racing. Sometimes I almost don't want to listen to your show because I feel like my mind starts racing in terms of the ideas. Oh, it's is bad news for the shiny object syndrome for sure. <laughs> so that's cool. So hey, what would you suggest? Because one of the the you know when I'm talking to people that have never gone into business for themselves. There's always this fear in terms of how do I start? What do I do? Do I need to go out and form a corporation? Do I need to do it? And they make all these complicated, do I need to get a logo and all these complications? What's your advice for someone that you know is thinking about a side hustle or wants to make a little bit of side income? What, what advice can you give them to just get started to do it? Yeah, I think it makes sense to start with the pain or problem that you're going to solve. Okay, Because that's typically what people or businesses spend money on right, I think it's easier to sell, you know, pain pills than it is to sell vitamins. Like, okay, can you make this pain or problem go away for me? And one thing you can do to just come up with potential ideas is just write down for a week or two. Like, I normally want to be more optimistic, so you kind of have to put on your pessimist hat for this one. But open up a notes app on your phone. I call it the "What Sucks" exercise, <laughs> and this is like everything that annoys you throughout the day. Make a note of it. You know, everything that other people complain to you about. Make a note of it. You know, just these kind of like little annoyance. Oh, I wish there was a smarter way to do that. And maybe there already is a business that does that. But on the other side of those are different business opportunities. And then, you know, the next step, like don't overthink it, like find somebody in, and pre-validate it, right? Like how can I test this in the lowest risk way possible, right? Like the guy, you know, the, the nursery, backyard nursery guy, like, well, there was already proven demand at low. So I felt reasonably confident and my startup costs were so low, you know, I could stick a plant in the dirt and by the spring, like, yeah, you know, worst case scenario, I'm out a couple bucks worth of water, maybe. Like, I don't know what his materials were that went into it. But the same thing, we had a recent guest who was, his side hustle was sweeping up parking lots, commercial parking lots, you know, strip mall plazas, stuff like that. And it was like, okay, so I, you know, I set up a sole proprietorship. Like, so he was like, you know, somewhat official going into it, but just started introducing himself. Hey, I'm a local vendor in the area. I specialize in removing litter and debris from parking lots. Is that a service you'd be interested in? Well, the manager isn't here right now, but here's his number. Give him a call, right? And same, you know, same script and you a little bit of back and forth. And you, with almost no startup costs, like he was able to land this first client at 450 bucks a month or something, he said, and just lather, rinse, repeat, start stacking them up, start hiring other people to go do the sweeping. But it started with, you know, what's the pain or problem that I could solve? Hey, customers don't like litter in their parking lots. So going to town after that. So another thing that I think I 
I hear from people a lot is, well, I have a full-time job. How am I supposed to have enough time to also have a side hustle? Do you think, do virtual assistants play a role in offsetting some of the tedious parts of once you start to get a side hustle going? What's your thoughts around utilizing virtual assistants to mitigate some of that additional time that it might take someone? Yeah, I think... You're, you're right on that, right? You don't have to do everything yourself. And if you can put yourself in that business owner chair from the beginning rather than the business doer chair, something I'm not very good at in a lot of ways, like, you know, typically about, well, start with your skills and go out and sell your skills. Like, well, then that's definitely a viable path. But then you might find yourself in the trap of like, well, people are hiring me and not necessarily the solution that I provide or, you know, the result that I'm getting and the transformation that I'm delivering. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned virtual assistants because that was actually another side hustle project of mine started Uh in 2011, a virtual assistant review platform and directory called virtual assistant assistant sold it in 2020. And what it was, you know, again, starting from pains and problems, like my own struggles in in trying to figure out, well, which of these companies are legit? Like, how do I, I just need some help in my business. Like, where do I, how do I do this? And trying to, you know, from that, you know, position of curiosity, trying to figure out, well, how do these companies operate? You know, how does it work? How do you do taxes? Are there even taxes? Like, you know, how do you prevent them from stealing my ideas and my information and all this stuff? And that ended up being a really fun project over the course of almost 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Hey, is there a, just switching gears a little bit, is there like a dark side to uh, the side hustle? Is there, there's a dark side or an underbelly of side hustling in your mind? There is. And there's, there was a, there was a New York Times piece, like the con of the side hustle. And it was, you know, it was a little bit, you know, one-sided and it focused sure. on, it focused on like the necessity of side hustle. Like, Hey, you know, people are having a hard time making ends meet. And at that point, you know, it was pre, you know, wage growth in the last, you know, a couple of years of inflation and stuff that we've seen. But it's like, uh, if you look at you know, housing, healthcare, education, like you know, some of the big expenses in our lives, like, you know, the costs have skyrocketed. And over the last generation, you know, real wage growth, inflation adjusted just hasn't, kept pace. And so it was, right. it was a piece on, you know, glamorizing, you know, the the gig economy and like driving for DoorDash and Uber and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I I get that. So the backlash is, you know, the hustle 24-7, rise and grind, you can sleep when you're dead, you know, death before decaf kind of a thing. And it's like, you can do that in the short term, but you can't do that in the long term. And we've heard from guests who like, okay, I knew if I really put my head down for a month, two months, like there was this sprint period where I could get my business to a point where I could like, you know, take off the gas, lose the day job, free up some extra time or scale back the day job. But you can't do it long-term. You can't sacrifice your sleep, your health, your relationships long-term because, you know, what are you, what are you working for? And it just doesn't... A recipe for, for disappointment. But I don't know. Yeah. You want to go back to the, the delegation piece a little bit? Because I think there's sure. a couple different flavors of it. And what, the first is where you know where i tend to, to shine on the delegation side of things is like the the stuff that you are doing yourself right you have the step by step recipe the process documentation and you say like okay this is not rocket science i can get this off my plate and that's that's what it was for me in the shoe business like okay here's my process for creating new text link ads for new shoe inventory that comes onto the site okay boom let's delegate that the second flavor is a little bit trickier and it's the stuff that you don't know how to do. And that's the 
you know, maybe it's graphic design or web design or like the really technical programming stuff in my case, like that is a little bit trickier and it requires more, you know, a little bit more handholding, a little bit more vetting, you know, checking references and different milestones along the way. I've definitely gotten burned by, you know, developer projects that have just overpromise, underdeliver, and end up being kind of expensive mistakes. Hey, this is Tyler. Oftentimes, business owners and entrepreneurs hire me because they are stuck. Their business is stuck. They've hit a wall and can't take their business to the next level. And they're frustrated. When I grew my second business, it took me a while to get the pieces to fit. But once they did, the business scaled fast. In fact, it grew to $25 million in annual revenue and ultimately sold for eight figures. So I decided to put together a roadmap for scaling a business. I want to help stuck business owners that want to scale but are having challenges. It's called the Scale in 5 Roadmap, and you can get a copy by doing the following. Text the number 55444 and type the word SCALE and hit send. A copy of the roadmap will be sent to your inbox. That is a little bit trickier and it requires more, you know, a little bit more handholding, a little bit more vetting, you know, checking references and different milestones along the way. I've definitely gotten burned by, you know, developer projects that have just you know, overpromise, underdeliver and end up being kind of expensive mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, speaking of that, so we've got kind of virtual assistants in that. We've got delegation. And then what I heard you say in that underbelly or that dark side was kind of getting burned out. That's pretty common though, wouldn't you say like, you got to have some balance. Like obviously when you start something out, there's going to be some, you're going to throw yourself all the way into it, but it's just not, your point was, it's not really sustainable essentially. Right. The last thing that you need is a second job that you hate. Right. So I think the idea is to, you know, hopefully... (laughs) build some long-term freedom and flexibility and really time leverage into your days. This is the, you know, the old Warren Buffett quote, if you don't find a way to make money in your sleep, you're going to work until you die. And I don't know a lot of people that, you know, want that outcome. And so it's like imagining your income as a pie chart and saying, you know, for most people, they start out that pie chart is hundred percent active income. I go to work, I get paid, boom, active income. But over the course of your lifetime, if you eventually want to stop working, you got to replace that active income with passive income or time leveraged income to say, well, an hour of work doesn't necessarily result in you know an hour of pay coming out, or you know I can I can stretch that over time to something that you know an hour of work in creates these outsized results, and so that's one one thing that separates a side hustle from a second job from you know, delivering pizzas or bartending. It's like, there's this connotation of an entrepreneurial upside. There's the potential to scale there that I don't think those other options really have. Do you think with like the gig economy, you know, some of these major services that people can easily jump over to, do do you think that's had an impact on like people thinking about doing a side hustle that's more of their own business as opposed to just jumping into like a gig type job, I guess you uh, call it? Yeah, we definitely see people like just... You know, I love to chat with my Lyft drivers and sometimes it's as simple, you know, one guy in Chicago was like, when I want to make money, I, I turn on the app and it's like, boom. Okay. And yeah, when we were at a podcast conference and the Lyft driver, you know, me and other podcasters, you know, we we're explaining what we did. He's like, I'm an entrepreneur too, you know, and just, you know, so the, the light bulb starts to go off on some of these. And those are very, 
you know, low barrier to entry, easy to get started with, easy to see results from with gas the way it is right now. Like it makes me a little bit nervous there because the the earning potential is kind of naturally capped and it's a skill that almost everybody has. And so it's hard to differentiate yourself in that space, like as a delivery driver or as a you know rideshare driver, for example, but very quick and easy side hustle to get started with. If, if that's your goal to make you know a few extra hundred bucks a month, like absolutely a viable option. Right. It's a good starting point. Yeah. I'm always amazed. I don't know if this is true now, but I know a while ago I was talking to one of these Uber drivers and he had this system down where he worked, I think it was like I know there's a certain time frame you can work, but it's like 16 hour days, four days a week. And he would rotate between Lyft and Uber and just constantly keep himself going so that he could maximize his earnings. And then he'd drive back to a couple cities, you know, a couple hours away, take a couple of days off, and then start that cycle wow. all over again to where it was a really busy area. But he had the system down and it was working for him. But when you talk about passive income or time leveraged income. Do you recommend when people are thinking about entering a side side hustle, a new side hustle, they kind of consider whether it's something they could lead into being time leveraged, meaning it's not just hour for hour for their service? Or do you just say, just, just pick a side hustle and start it? I mean, what's your recommendation around that? Yeah, I don't want people to get too caught up in the analysis paralysis side of things. Mm. So there is an element of just pick something, just start truthfully, doesn't matter, you know, it's your first move in a game of chess, just, you know, moving your pawn out into the world. Let's see what kind of reaction it gets. But the other consideration, I do think this is important, is to say, well, a lot of times we're focused on fear of failure. Well, what if it doesn't work? How much is it going to cost? Like, what are my friends going to think of me? Like all valid concerns, right? But on the other side, think about what happens if it works? What does success look like? And the way to do that is find somebody who's three to five years ahead of you. And, you know, maybe you can virtually... Uh, get mentorship from them through podcast interviews. For example, we had a, a guy who started a virtual call center, like customer support center. And he's like, I listened to every interview that the founder of uh, Call Ruby, Ruby receptionists, did. And you know, over the course of time, like she started to divulge some of these different metrics and secrets, you know, that she was, you know, that they were keeping track of in their business. Like, oh, okay. And so, you know, you can get some virtual mentorship from people who are three to five years ahead of you. Try to get a sense of. You know, what does their day-to-day look like? And would that be a win? You know, if, if they're still working 60, 80 hour weeks and saying like, you know, struggling to keep their head above water, like, oh, okay, interesting. Like what, what decisions did they make that led them down that path? Or, you know, how could I choose a slightly different option from the get-go? Because I think the attitude that you go into it with sometimes dictates the long-term direction. It's, it's am I going to start a dog walking company or am I going to go walk dogs? It's like, okay, if I can position myself as that CEO from the early days, maybe you set yourself up better for that time leverage down the road. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. So you have a very successful podcast. You've written several books. Do you have any type of wisdom for us in regards to... You're an influencer. You have a huge audience. Is there anything... What What's the secret to success? Or if there is a secret, what would you share in terms of your journey and how to build a big audience? And a lot of entrepreneurs want to grow their audience. They want to have uh, more avenues for prospects. What, what would you attribute to your success? Is it consistency? Anything stand out? Definitely the consistency and persistence in the early days and in, in really years. Um, that definitely stands out. Like, I mean, if you look back at the you know, the podcast chart or the Google Analytics chart in those early years, like it's so, you know, zoomed out now, it's like so close to the, you know, Y axis, like it's barely even visible. <laughs> but, it, you know, we're seeing just enough traction that 
you know, I felt compelled to keep doing it. And it was interesting work and it was rewarding. And, you know, people would send me their feedback and a few people signed up for the email list. So the persistence to stick with it, I think, really is huge. The other thing that I think helped early on was recognizing, especially with as it relates to podcasts, there is a there's a non-zero hurdle to get over to get somebody to tune into your show for the first time. And that hook has got to be so compelling that they are willing to go through those hurdles for you. And so learn that early on with creating, you know, you know, borderline clickbaity titles, but like, you know, what's the big takeaway or what's the you know crazy story? Like one of the very early episodes was how this one guy earned enough money on Fiverr to buy a house. And I was like, wait, you know, how did you do that? What, did, what could you possibly sell for $5 that, and he's like, knock, 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 you know, it's all about the upsells, but, you know, trying <laughs> to, and that's still true today with almost every episode is, okay, what's start with the hook and go find who's the best person to tell that story. And then, you know, try and really hammer that home in the title and the first part of the show. Like, here's what we're going to cover today. Here's why it's worth your time to tune in and learn and really focusing on that because so many especially now with podcasts being noisier than ever and the internet being noisier than ever. It's like, if it's not compelling, I'm not going to click on it. Right. Yeah. That's a great tip. So the hooks are really focused around the hook. Obviously you glossed over something, have awesome content, which you have. I mean, that's, you got to deliver. And that's something I think you do a great job on. Your stories are always really interesting and they're fascinating. And I'm always amazed. This leads me to another question. Your guests actually share sometimes information that I might even like kind of consider confidential or like my mind goes, man, I'm not sure I'd want to be sharing that if the shoe was on the other foot. Do you ever deal with like, does anybody ever say to you, hey, don't talk about that? Or just people really open and they don't mind? Or what's your thoughts on that? Well, try and get permission and buy-in upfront. And I think it's been it's been more common to talk about you know revenue and profit margins than maybe it was you know 10, 15 years ago. And so uh, you will usually lead in well if you're if you're comfortable sharing you know, what's a typical month look like in terms of revenue? And so we kind of lead in, soften that up. Like if, if we haven't like pre-discussed that beforehand, but usually we'll get their buy-in and approval for that ahead of time. And a lot of times those are the pitches that come in to me. Like, so and if you're listening, sidehustlenation.com slash pitch is the application form. Like I'm always looking for new guests. There's always another Thursday coming around, but it's a lot of people will leave well, how I made a hundred thousand dollars doing XYZ, you know, there's so a lot of people will lead with that. And so, okay, are you comfortable sharing those numbers? Is that what you're talking about? The like the financials? Yeah, yeah. Just I well, sometimes it's just the business model, sometimes it's the financials. And I agree with you. I think it's becoming more common to like people to really be open about that. But even the business models, I think sometimes people I like go, wow, I'm a little surprised they're kind of sharing that. Sometimes it's cool that they do. There's a part of me that goes, I wonder if I would do it because I'd be worried, you know, adding extra competition. Yeah. But it is kind of interesting. It's just cool that people are really open about sharing and they're really, they're so proud a lot of times and they're cool stories to share them. I mean, it's honestly, I guess, the same thing I, I face with my own guests, how open they are and transparent in terms of things they share. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I've seen people who say, like, it's cool. I'm happy for you, but I don't want to be on the show. And even, even like some <laughs> friends, like, oh, you know, I kind of want to, you know, play this a little bit closer to the vest. And I, I totally get that. You've seen lots yeah. of copycats, especially, you know, depending on how easily replicable the, the business is or some yeah. of the assets related to it. Like, yeah, I, I get that. You don't want to yeah. uh, go out and divulge your niche, advertise that to an audience of thousands of hungry entrepreneurs. People that are hungry for niches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And that's really cool. Hey, I got one last question for you. I always like to end on like a business or a life tip. If there's something you've learned along your way, your journey that you could share with us and we could apply either to our business or our life, anything stand out? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me is, you know, adopting an experimenter's mindset. I read at one point that, you know, Amazon at any given time is testing a thousand different variables. I don't know if this is true or not. You know, trying to eke out those like 0.01% you know, conversion rate improvements or speed optimizations or anything. So I think you can adopt the same mentality on a much smaller scale on your own life and your own business. Just position these different you know, trials as little experiments. I think that lessens the sting of the inevitable failures that come along the way and just you know, makes them almost short-term things. Like, you know, oh, let me try this out for 30 days. If it works, doesn't work, Great. You know, a lesson learned back to the drawing board. So adopting that experimenter's mindset has been huge for me. I love that. That's a great one. Powerful. Well, hey, you've been awesome to have on the show. I'll put all the, your links in my show notes, thinktyler.com. Two of the links I have for uh, the audience is sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. That's one spot to go. And then the other spot is uh, your group. You've got on a Facebook, you've got a group called Side Hustle Nation. So those are the two links I have. Anywhere else or anywhere else you'd like people to go in terms of if they want to reach out to you or they want to contact you? Yeah, those are the best spot. Like you mentioned, sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. This is totally free, no opt-in required laundry list of different part-time business ideas. Hopefully get your creative juices flowing. Of course, we'd love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show as well. You'll find it in all your favorite podcast apps. Yeah, it's a great podcast. I hope hope whoever's listening takes time to listen. Great stories. I will see, share with you the worm lady. I hope she's okay with me calling you the worm lady, but the <laughs> worm lady, I'll share, I'll do an intro and or maybe I'll send her your... Uh, do you want me to just do an intro or do you want me to send her to your... Uh, is, her, is her episode live? I'll check it out. Yeah, uh, actually, it's my interview scheduled for two weeks. So it's a couple of weeks later, but I can send you... Okay, all. well, let me check out that one first and then... Yeah, yeah. perfect. Okay, perfect. Okay, man. Well, hey, thanks so much. Um, look forward to talking to you again in the future. If you have another book or something you want to share, I'd love for you to have come back on again. You bet. Thank you. Okay, take care. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.
Electricast.